This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment. The information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician. Do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation. If you suspect that you have a medical problem, you are urged to seek competent medical help. The Natural Man Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcomes that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of The Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of The Natural Man Podcast. This is The Natural Man Podcast. Thanks for being here. Want to introduce you to everybody. I'm glad you're here. And it's, I'm sorry, it's Latanza or Latanza? What do you Tomato, prefer? tomato. I say Latanza, but if anybody from Italy heard me say that, they'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll say, we'll say Latanza. So Dr. Okay. Lauren Latanza, thank you for being here. Um, I know we were trying to schedule something. We're both busy people, but we finally nailed something down. And uh, I'm grateful you're here because I'm familiar with your work. Um, you're doing a lot of important things in medicine and you're providing a service that is vital these days. So, so, you know, we're just grateful that you're here. You're, you're with the, um, just a quick intro here. So people, people know a little bit more about you as you're with the Wolfson Integrative Cardiology Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, very well-known cardiology clinic. Um, I'd heard about it for years and, uh, I know you work in different areas like the root cause of inflammation, um, identifying and eliminating environmental toxins, paleo nutrition, hormone health, sunlight. I mean, you cover it all, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're actually, we've rebranded as Natural Heart Doctor in the last couple years. Um, but yeah, so we really, I mean, being that we are Natural Heart Doctor, it's a lot of people come to us as cardiovascular care you know you've been right. diagnosed with hypertension you've been diagnosed with atrial fibrillation you have palpitations you don't know why that's why it gets a lot of people in the door but then ultimately it's like oh you know what you need to talk to my wife or my my daughter needs to talk to you because she's got this thing with her thyroid or there's this autoimmune marker that's keep creeping up and there's all this inflammation and there's all these symptoms and just can't think straight. So it's any number of things um, that we, yeah, like like you said, it's really root cause medicine. So, you know, yeah. we kind of find out there's a cause for pretty much anything that goes on, you know, other than um, like congenital diseases, congenital disorders, we can find a cause for just about anything. And once we find the cause, we've found the cure about how to circumvent that and get away from it so that that's not ailing you moving forward in your life. Yeah, and that, that's huge. I mean, seeking the root cause. I think that's been lost in medicine. And so I always applaud uh, docs like yourself who who approach things that way and things are individualized. So, like, obviously we go by labs and different parameters that, that you know, seem to fit the human profile. But, you know, what, 
makes you sick is going to be something different than what makes me sick. And the causes are so different based on genetics and, and all those things. So, I mean, that's huge. Like inflammation, um, that's a big one. Do you think that's something that increases as we get older or is that something we can keep at bay even as we age? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, there's a term that's been kind of going around. I don't know who coined it, but inflammaging. It's like, as we age, we're exposed to more and more toxins in the environment. We're consuming more and more toxic foods just because that's unfortunately the the society that we live in is that we have to do our own homework. We have to really advocate for our own health because nobody's going to do it for us. Our government agencies are not looking out for us. Right. You know, I'm not trying to get any knocks on my door or any phone calls or anything like that, but <laughs> they're not looking out for us. You know, they're not filtering the tap water. They're not, we yeah. have to look out for ourselves. So it's like everything that we go on in our lives, we have to look out for ourselves. And I'll tell patients, you know, eat, eat an abundance of seafood kind of sounds random, but eat an abundance of seafood. But if it's a large game seafood, that's been swimming around in the ocean for a long period of time, that's going to have accumulated, accumulated a lot more metals, a lot more microplastics, a lot more toxins, period. And the same goes for us on dry land, particularly in the U S we're spraying things, you know, our air, our soil, our water, it's all relatively toxic. So we have to do our best to really stay ahead of that. Um, and so we can prevent all of the inflammation from accruing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I was speaking to a, a friend a while back and this friend doesn't necessarily live the same lifestyle, but was understanding the way I live and clearly the way you live. And, you know, it's just different. People don't pay attention to this stuff. And when you start telling them, like the things you're saying, like the certain certain types of seafood are not optimal. Um, there's certain types of the, the larger fish, that can, the carnivorous fish that we should sort of, you know, not take, not, not eat as much of that because of the toxic accumulation, which then gets into our bodies. And for some people, it's just overwhelming. And, you know, they, this friend described it to me, like, it's like a battle trying to, trying to live healthy like you do. It just sounds like a battle because like all the odds are against you. And, and I think there was some truth to that, you know, like it's, it's a real fight to figure this stuff out initially. Would you not think? Absolutely. And I think that we can almost become too submerged in trying to avoid all the things that we let it kind of lead run our life um and i don't think that fear-mongering anything is healthy so it's like you know we, we this is the world we live in but we can set up some you know basics so that we're not exposing ourselves so it's like you know buy organic and that's something that you stand by but it's like if we're and and i'm a huge proponent of like just flip your labels if if there's a cleaner product available you know everything from dish soap to what you're putting on your body to what you're putting in your mouth try to take the cleaner approach every time possible but we can also get some level of just kind of obsession about it to where that's not healthy either so yeah. it still, you know, develops into some stressor that it's like, oh my gosh, everything in this world is going to kill me. And if you want to look at it that way, honestly, you can find something that is toxic in just about any and everything. So there's always a lesser evil. So it's just, we have to try to do our best and it's starting exactly where you're at. So if you're like, you know what? I do currently go through a fast food drive through every single day. I don't buy organic and I use dryer sheets all the time then get rid of the dryer sheets, like start Mm. making small choices every single day 
Like my mom always said, life is a series of choices. So try to make a better choice all the time. And then you won't feel so overburdened. Like it's not just going to be so overwhelming all the time. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. And I know you're big on paleo nutrition and not every functional medicine doc recommends necessarily a specific diet, although some do. Tell me about that. Why, why is paleo so big in your world? So I like paleo because it's basically, you can kind of maneuver that to whatever suits you, right? So you can do keto paleo, you can do low carb paleo, you can do carnivore. They're all branches of paleo, but really at the core of it all, it's eating real food. So it's limiting or avoiding processed foods altogether, um, avoiding grains. They're kind of, they're very heavily sprayed, um, more moldy than other foods. So avoiding grains, dairy. Um, so you're avoiding a lot of these inflammatory foods that just kind of as humans, we're not really good at breaking down anyway. Um, right. So it's eating real food, you know, eggs, seafood, meat, um, vegetables, fruits. So eating real food and then avoiding things that have labels and packages and so on. And there are, you know, processed paleo-esque foods that, um, that are available. And it's, again, kind of picking and choosing your battles. So if that's going to help you kind of get to your goals, then I think that, that those are good stepping stones. But ultimately relying on you look at it, you know, all right, this is a ribeye. Uh, look at it. This is some broccoli rather than looking at some packaged food and not having any idea what you're getting ultimately. Yeah. And why do you think it's superior to the vegan diet? And we're not we're not trying to offend the vegans out there. We respect everybody. We love everybody on this podcast. We right? love everybody. And you yeah. know what? And being that I have, you know, in, in my position, I give people advice. So I've put myself through the ringer. I've tried just about every dietary approach out there. I tried veganism for a while and I felt so lousy that I was just like, this cannot be right. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, propaganda-esque type material out there that are, you know, pushing, pushing, you know, towards veganism and simultaneously the, the opposite direction. But if we look at it, it's like, it's not sustainable for the planet. Um, it's not sustainable for our energy or our tissues in our body. So if you look at, you know, the tissue of somebody that's eating animal tissue, eating animal products um, versus a vegan, you know, vegan piece of tissue um, just mm -hmm. from your body, it is just night and day difference because you're not getting the components that you really need. So we are what we eat, literally and figuratively, we are what we eat. And if you're eating something that's not you know, from derived from animal tissue or helping in sustain animal tissue, there's going to be a lot of gaps. And I run micronutrient tests on just about all of my patients. And the few, I mean, I, people that come to me know that I have this dietary approach, but that doesn't steer people away. I do have the occasional vegan pop in, um, yeah. but I'll run their micronutrients and it is horrifying, honestly. You know, we really, Oh, it's, it's so bad. Of course, the B vitamins, but the fat soluble vitamins just completely lacking. The CoQ10 is gone. The minerals, we're just not getting enough from the plants in our modern world to sustain what we need. And, you know, organ meats are going to be central in getting your CoQ10, getting your minerals, getting your iron, getting your B vitamins. Like that's a superfood. It's not kale. It's not, you know, blueberries are great, but yeah. that's just not going to do it. Um, you cannot sustain life. And I don't know if you've ever watched any like survival type shows, 
the people that can only find plants, they're the first ones out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yep. So, yep. And, um, and it's, so I just know yeah. what, you know, to be true, looking through an anthropologic lens, like the people that ate meat survive longer. Yeah. And, you know, there was something I've shared this on another podcast and I can't, it, it still blows my mind. Um, every indigenous population that I've ever encountered, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if, if you've heard of anything else, they always ate animal proteins of some kind, whether they live by the sea or they're in the desert or they're killing porcupines or wherever they are in the world. Everybody in those indigenous lifestyles, people living in the Amazon, they're killing animals. They're not just eating the plants and the leaves. And so, and, and they're the ones that seem to have the healthiest lifespans, not us living in the industrialized age, you know, fighting fluoride in the water and everything else. So doesn't that speak volumes? Absolutely. And, you know, even if we fast forward to a modern, we can't sustain that with pea protein powders. And, you know, it's like we want to eat whole foods that, you know, we want a full amino acid profile. And, yeah, you can, you know, you get the, oh, if you eat beans and rice together, then you get all the amino acids. It's like, okay, but you're getting, what's your, what's the nutrient component of that? And what's your body composition going to be like from that? So I think that there's just a whole, there's an optimal way to do things. And there's, you know, there's vegans out there. I'm sure they're like, I lift really heavy weights all the time and I am thriving. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, but that's a really kind of a think challenging approach to do that. And just from what I see clinically, they're really missing the mark in human optimization. That's interesting. I've never, I've, I've never heard. I'm familiar with the micronutrient panel that you're describing, and I've never, I've never heard that vegans show different results. That's fascinating. So, so what do you see in people who are not vegans? Like, what's the, what are some of the differences? You touched on some of them, but yeah, you know, you so, said CoQ10. So what other that, things? You know, I, I've run so many now. It's really interesting that you know I, I do a, th- a thorough intake on these patients and. Everyone from, you know, standard American diet to vegan to full-blown carnivore for a number of years have come in and they still get the testing and we see exactly, all right, what is it that you need? Because supplements, which we'll get to, you know, there's something for everything, you know, but I'm very much of a test, not guess. We'll see what your body needs and then we'll address that. It's not just, I'm going to throw mud at a wall, see what sticks. So we do the testing, but when a carnivore patient has this test versus a vegan patient, we test the cellular and the serum. So inside the cell and then just in the bloodstream of all of these nutrients, vitamin A, vitamin C, all the B vitamins, um, selenium, CoQ10, all the amino acids, um, your omega profile. And what I've found is that, like I said, the fat soluble vitamins, B vitamins, Um, are really going to be significantly low. A lot of times minerals are going to be low in vegans as well. Um, The carnivores tend to do much, much better on all of the fat-soluble vitamins, the CoQ10, the carnitine, all of these things that are in what they're eating. You are what you eat. Your cells are soaking up what's, you know, absorbable from your food. It's not from a supplement. It's highly absorbable nutrients from your food. So, um, so they really look pretty good. You know, carnivores are going to be a little bit lacking sometimes on vitamin C. Um, but why is that? Why is that? Well, so it's a water soluble vitamin. And if you're not, if you're strictly avoiding fruit and vegetables, you're just really limiting your sources of vitamin C. Hmm. Um, wow. cause it's something that our bodies do not make 
endogenously. We have to get from food or supplements. Um, so it's like, you know, if you go out and eat a kiwi, you're going to get a ton of vitamin C. So you can be a carnivore and have a kiwi every now and then. And you're pretty well set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you talked about CoQ10, and I'm, I'm a huge proponent, proponent of CoQ10, having been a, a former uh, uh, cardiovascular patient. Um, do you think that's something that everyone needs to take after a certain age? There's a lot of literature out there that's stating that we make less as we age, especially after 40. Do you see that to be true in your practice? I do see that the need for supplementation to increase again, be that through food or supplements, you know, food is always a great approach. I think that there's some level of capsule fatigue. So I don't always love to tell patients take a million capsules a day. Um, but we do see that that the manufacturing of that decreases. Um, it's made by your liver. So patients that come in and they've been put on a statin that significantly drops their CoQ10 and those patients must be on CoQ10. And their allopathic physician that prescribed them the statin knows this, yet there's often missing the mark. I would say I've seen maybe one out of 10 statin patients um, that come in and they've been told to take CoQ10. So it's really unfortunate that these physicians know this from their training that yeah. it's suppressed, um, but they're not replenishing this antioxidant mitochondrial support, particularly for the cardiovascular, cardiac myocytes, the heart muscle cells, really, really heavily dependent on this molecule. Um, so the mitochondria are most abundant in your heart and in your brain. And when we get, you know, when we get older, it's like we just accept this level of fatigue and, oh, you know, my, my heart is racing or flip-flopping or this or that. And I have some level of brain fog and we just accept that. But it's like, well, what if we supported your mitochondria? Yeah. then your heart might feel better, your brain might feel better. So CoQ10 is really a good place to start. Yeah. Now, I've never I've never heard a doctor um replete CoQ10 with with foods. So there are cases where you 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 get pill fatigue and you actually just tell them to eat like what? Like organ meats? If yeah, I mean it's not for everyone. So I mm -hmm. am very much it's an open discussion like, "Hey, you you can go to the farmers market if you know a good local butcher that will give you some grass-fed beef heart and you can get that in your foods. Um, there's some companies out there that will, like Force of Nature is a great company that actually grinds um, beef liver and grass-fed beef liver and grass-fed beef heart into like ground beef. Um, oh, wow. So that's, and I feed it to my family and my 10-year-old actually loves it. We don't tell him, but it's, <laughs> good with it and he's getting a bunch of coq10 because again those cardiac muscle cells that you're consuming are really abundant in mitochondria coq10 goes right hand in hand with that um your liver yeah. produces coq10 so you're getting the source of it um so you get a lot of coq10 from consuming those organ meats so you can either do you know get it on your plate or um some desiccated organ capsules is a good option. Or, you know, there's, you know, ubiquinol CoQ10 options as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you touched on something that um, is like a primary focus of my uh, wellness journey, and that is the mitochondria. And there's so much emerging, I'm sure you know this, there's so much emerging research on mitochondria now and how they're linking a lot of human disease, like the, the majority of human disease, to mitochondrial 
um, aging and and deficiencies as far as their function. Do, are you part of that movement? Do you believe that nourishing the mitochondria can offset a lot of disease? Absolutely, particularly with, so I treat a lot of mold-related illness, toxin-related illness, um, and these patients are really depleted. They're really tired. They're, you know, multi-organ systems are just, there's something off with their digestion. Their heart is flip-floppy. You know, there's all these kind of symptoms just across the board. And if we upregulate the mitochondria, you've just got better energy production. It's like cellular currency. Like you've just got better energy production kind of across the board. So your organ systems work better. You feel sharper. You feel more like yourself is what you know, I, I, the feedback I get from when we really focus on mitochondrial support. And yeah, I think that really it's, um, it's definitely an evolving field an evolving kind of component of functional medicine that, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, everything was adrenal fatigue, right? Um, yeah. But I don't even think that we're talking about really adrenal fatigue anymore. We realize that it's mitochondrial fatigue and mitochondrial insufficiency. So yeah. if we really pay attention to that and just encourage the cellular currency and the ability of cells to manufacture that, um, then patients just have much better outcomes and at a much more rapid pace. And besides CoQ10, what other steps do you take to optimize the mitochondria? Is there specific protocols that you guys use? Yeah. So um, anymore, I really like um, phospholipids. So phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, phosphatidylinositol. So a well-rounded phospholipid product um, does really well in kind of restructuring cellular membranes, but also mitochondrial support as well. Um, so that's something that's kind of newer to my clinical practice that, mm -hmm. you know, I'd seen it in the literature. I'd seen kind of other people talking about it here and there. But once I started incorporating that into, like I said, particularly some of my detox patients, um, just really, really good results. So I'm really happy yeah. with how, how that's come along because people will feel better, you know, with some CoQ10 and some of that. But it's like that's going to be very much in my clinical practice, very much cardiac focused that, that you get a lot of improvement in cardiac function with some of the um, CoQ10 dosing. But kind of across the board, particularly cognitively feeling, again, more, more like yourself um, with some of the phospholipids have yeah. done really well. Yeah. You talked about um, um, the micronutrient panel and you brought up something in my mind and that's, you know, lab ranges. And I know that functional medicine docs have very different sometimes lab ranges from the allopaths, the conventional world. Why do you think that is? Why is the conventional paradigm have this set of lab ranges and why it seems like the, the functional medicine lab ranges are a lot stricter for mm -hmm. things like like thyroid, like TSH and, and, and things like that. What are your thoughts on that? What, why are they so different? You know, so I think that a lot of, and it's hard that you can't generalize because there's so many labs with so many reference ranges that get kind of thrown around. But for the most part, it's right. like, what is quote unquote normal? Um, and I don't want patients to be normal, particularly in the health landscape that we currently live in. I yeah. want patients to be optimal. So my reference ranges are much more stringent. Um, so, you know, it's, I, my lab reviews take quite a bit of time um, because oftentimes it's like a 70 pa 75 page lab review 
that I have to, you know, then go in and say, okay, this is what this says. We're going to ignore this reference range. Here's what I'm looking for. And then even furthermore, like you mentioned with thyroid, we're looking for ratios. So hormone ratios, we're looking for really optimization. We're not looking for normalcy. We don't want normal. We want optimal because that's where, you know, if you're trending towards the upper or lower end of this lab standard reference range, then you're borderline pathogenic, you know, like yeah. it's, it's not good to be that. I mean, you're just going to wait until something's outright wrong before we do anything. So we can really get our patients ahead of the game and know that we're going to stay in this optimal range. And all right, what is it that we need to do for some fine tuning along the way so that we don't get pathogenic results? Yeah. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. And tell me, tell me about some of the different, like, less conventional labs you use. You mentioned the micronutrient panel, and that's a big one in, in this paradigm. We, we know that. What, is, what are some other ones that you look at that they might not find at their standard doctor? Yeah, so, um, I mean, so really everything from, you know, things that you could actually get ordered through LabCorp or SonoraQuest that mm-hmm. most physicians just aren't ordering. So everything from oxidation status in the body, you know, in-depth um, inflammatory markers, vascular inflammation, cardiovascular stress markers, you know, um, the topic of myocarditis is really big right now. And there's blood labs that we can all order just to kind of rule that out because patients are kind of concerned. They're like, ever since, you know, this or that, um, I, I've had this yeah. kind of abnormality. Is that something that's going on with me? And we can kind of look ahead and we, we can circumvent some of the, the worry that patients are going through. Um, so we can do in-depth in oxidative stress markers, inflammation markers, in-depth hormone testing, um, I do leaky gut testing on all my patients as well. Um, toxin testing. Um, I often would do like a stool analysis. So just kind of looking like laying all the cards out, you know. So if there, if there are oftentimes are inflammatory markers that are elevated, what is it that's contributing to this inflammatory marker? So that we're getting some of the causation rather than just inflammation, let's throw some anti-inflammatory herbs or something at it. We're stopping it at the source. Yeah. Which um, which GI test do you do? Is it the GI map? Um, I used to do GI map. Uh, uh-huh. And I anymore, I'm running the Vibrant Gut Zoomer. Well, what's that? I've never even heard of that. Yeah. So it's really good. It's really in-depth. Um, so you'll still get a large analysis of the microbiome. Um, mm-hmm. Again, they do a really good ratio of like... Um, 
firmicutes, bacteroidetes ratios. So a lot of- I don't even know what those are, but that sounds I wild. I mean, it's super in depth. <laughs> so without getting like too nerdy, it's super in depth. Oh, get nerdy. This is the place to do it. <laughs> um, so all of the like all of the bacteria that should be there um, kind of mm -hmm. lays it out in, you know, ratios, um, overgrowth of, you know, are, are there parasites? Um, are there the whole panel of inflammation markers, whole, uh, whole panel of malabsorption? So are we finding that there's- proteins that are not being broken down? Are we finding that there's vegetable fibers not being broken down? Are we finding that there's enough short chain fatty acid production? Um, and then even breaking down a short chain fatty acid profile. So if there, is there enough butyric acid being man made um, by a gut bacteria? So really, really in-depth, um, really solid lab. Um, and then of course, you know, some of the basics as well, like the occult blood. So things that we would want to, of course, always see on a stool analysis. Um, but yeah, so that's what I've been running lately. Um, Vibrant does a nice job with that panel. That's cool. I'll mm -hmm. have to look into that. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Um, does any, has anyone ever just come back normal on that detailed test? Do you always find something in there? There's always something. There's always something. Really? It's, you know, some people are like more normal than others, but um, there's always some like, and it's hard to get shifts in the microbiome. You know, it's not like we can just say, oh, you know what? you're low on this species, this strain of lactobacillus. So we're just going to give you some of that in a probiotic. It doesn't, you know, that's wishful thinking. Yeah. So we have to make dietary and lifestyle changes. Are you taking a bunch of NSAIDs, a bunch of, you know, over the counter drugs that are raising up your calprotectin? So there's a lot of things that we can see um, from the gut that the gut is telling us just from a stool analysis. Um, and there, you know, there's leaky gut in there. So there's zonulin, fecal zonulin. Zonulin should be just the protein that's binding together neighboring cells in the gut lining. Um, and if that's winding up in your stool in certain amounts, then, uh, that's, you know, not good news for your gut lining. So we can find a lot there. There's never been one where I'm like, your gut is ship shaped. Keep doing what you're doing. Like, <laughs> Yeah. H have you encountered a lot of parasites in in patients, because I know that stuff, those labs, um, those GI map, and the, the the different labs identify that. Yeah. Have you seen a lot of that? There's I I treat a lot of parasites. Really. Whether or not they so anymore so the gut zoomer I will say the gut zoomer does a good job about catching them, but if you're a really good host, they're not going to come out on stool analysis. They're happy and cozy and healthy right where they're at. Really. So we have to oftentimes figure from a symptom perspective, you know, itchy skin, certain, um, you know, GI symptoms, of course, but there, there's a lot of people that have parasites that it won't, it just won't show up on a stool analysis. So we have to try to kind of treat it empirically and say, all right, you know, we give our dogs and horses dewormers on an annual basis. Parasites don't see international borders like we like to think that they do. Yeah. So we know that we're buying fruits and vegetables from Mexico and all across the world and they're coming in on our foods and hey, we eat raw fruit and we go out for sushi and we have pets and they give us kisses and we got parasites too. So we just need to accept that um, and start deworming ourselves as well. Yeah. Do you, um, why do you think conventional medicine has so many pitfalls and I don't want to get political here, but clearly you and I are part of the same tribe. 
Um, it's it's really good for some things, but it's not as impactful in other ways. What what do you think's driving that? Like, what do you think that is? Do you think it's just dated research that hasn't been updated? Dated updated, research, dated training. Um, you know, there's a time and place for all kinds of medicine. I'll be the first person to say, say that. But um, ultimately, what I think that conventional medicine is lacking is prevention and yeah. looking for optimal results. So again, you've got some patient that's come into you for the last 10 years and their thyroid was, you know, always really kind of in the low end of normal, really in the optimal range. And it's trending and it's trending and it's trending and it's trending. And then wham, suddenly their thyroid is completely out of whack. And then there's, you know, potentially in a Hashimoto's. So it's like, we could have been ahead of the game a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and not just, you know, a pill for every ill. I think that there's, and you know, I think that there's green allopathy as well. That There are certain naturopaths that are just as guilty of a pill for every ill as right. allopathic medicine. So there's, it's just like anything, there's good doctors that are really looking into kind of look ahead for their patients um, for the long game. Um, and then there's doctors that just kind of, you know, skate by and say, all looks good, see you in a year. Like, so I think that, again, we kind of have to advocate for ourselves. We have to know, I saw my mom, dad, you know, whatever that might be, fill in the blank, go through this path of a pharmaceutical cascade, uh, having 12 prescription drugs that they were on by age 65, and yeah. they didn't feel good. They weren't themselves anymore ultimately to just have no longevity, no vitality. So I don't want that for myself. What can I do now? So looking ahead, I think is really where conventional medicine falls short. They, you know, they stay in their lane and I stay in my lane, but I, I, they know better that lifestyle and diet make a, an abundance of difference in any given patient. So I don't, I don't like that the majority of times it's waiting to just write a script and send you on your way when we know we could do so much better in the meantime. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any patients that still see a conventional physician and you work alongside them? And if you do, what's that like? Is that ever challenging? Um, you know what? I think it's more challenging for the patient because so I'm not the one talking to. So being that, again, natural heart doctor, I have got mostly cardiac patients, but I see kind of any and everything as well. Um, so a lot of my patients will still say, you know, I got this stent placed and my cardiologist wants me to follow up once annually or what have you. And I'm totally fine with that. You know what, if this is the guy that went to you, he's following up with you. Um, he's still running an echo on you every year. Like, and if they're not, then I will be the first person to get an echocardiogram on you. So we make sure that like kind of checks and balances is kind of what I'm coming from. But the patient is put in that position to go back to them and say, I don't want to be on this statin. I'm not taking a statin. So here's what I'm doing. I, I'm talking to this naturopathic doctor. She's told me a paleo diet, blah, 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 blah. I'm keeping my inflammation down. I'm keeping my oxidative stress down. My triglycerides are low. My HDL is high. I'm otherwise a very low risk patient. And then that cardiologist can say, hey, kick rocks. I don't want to see you anymore. Or they can say, all right, great. Keep it up. Like, so I yeah. think that it, it's, it's the patient that gets put in this position of, do I want to even convey what I'm actually doing to this practitioner or, you know, do I just 
say, okay, smile and nod when I go in for my annual. Yeah. And, and I know every problem is different and you, you guys are cardiovascular focused at that clinic. Um, but what, what are some common deficiencies you see in cardiovascular patients? Cause it's, there's clearly some similarities between them. Um, are there similarities or are they, are they distinctly different? I know every ailment's not the same, but you know, can you speak I think to that? that it's, it's a lot of just old science. So like the whole cholesterol problem out there is just getting thrown a statin just for literally any patient that's LDL is over 90 is kind yeah. of bananas. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I don't think that there's any need to just base, you know, all of your treatment on one or two markers um, and then have all of these nutritional deficiencies kind of because of that, you know, you get muscle pain, you get fatigue, you get cognitive impairment. um, And those are really common symptoms for patients that are on statins. So, um, but then I see a lot of AFib patients, a lot of hypertensive patients. Um, So they're like, you know what, my blood pressure had always been kind of high normal. And then they started giving me these drugs and they didn't work. So then now I'm on three or four high blood pressure drugs um, and it's still not managed. So again, we're not looking for the cause. You know, there's no pharmaceutical deficiency. You're not deficient in lisinopril. You are not deficient in (laughs) amlodipine. We need to really get to the bottom of why is it that you're having high blood pressure or an arrhythmia so that we can stay away from the pharmaceuticals and procedures altogether. Because it's scary, right? Again, you know, I've got patients that it's like my head hurts so bad when my blood pressure gets so high. Um, when they're in AFib episodes, that's really scary. Your heart is beating out of control really rapidly. You get dizzy. So patients want answers and they're just not getting them. So when patients ultimately wind up in my office, it's like they kind of feel hopeless. Like, is this my only option to stay on all of these pills and go in for an ablation every couple of years because they ultimately fail? Um, so it's a really awesome position for me to be in where I can offer them hope and give them these answers that nobody's digging for. So it's really good to, you know, kind of have patients go through what they, you know, conventional standpoint, um, and get the, again, the pill for every ill. And then they wind up here and realize, okay, it's not too late. This is not my only option. So I would just hope that patients will start kind of learning about that earlier on in the game, that there are more options. Yeah, I think the problem for some people is that they want their doctor to do their thinking for them. And there are even some in the conventional world, some doctors in the conventional world that that want it that way. And some don't like questions and some don't like you to 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 quiz what they're doing. And um, and I've shared this before. Um, I interview every doctor that I have. Like I, I ask for a phone call before I even go in there and I want to know what they're all about because sometimes that phone call tells me enough that I don't think I'm going to get along with this individual. And I've had that happen like a, a number of times. I do that with, I've done that with dentists too when I've moved to different cities. So, I mean, it's, but it's so funny because a functional medicine doc, a naturopath like yourself will always be open to that. And naturopaths, I feel are more open to the team effort. This is not to speak to every conventional doctor. There's fantastic ones out there. We know that. Um, But it just feels like it's a more collaborative approach. It's a team effort. And they're almost like, it's almost like your functional medicine doc is your cheerleader if you find the right one. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, and I will say, so I, I trained with an MD. He's an integrative medicine doc, just awesome, awesome guy, awesome physician, really great bedside manner, just a good attitude, really open to integrative. Um, so I trained with him all through medical school. Um, and he was the one that taught me, we're getting hired by these people. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just, hey, you sign up, you have an appointment with me, and what I say goes. It's very much... You're hiring me, so this is a conversation to be had. And all I can give you is my opinion, my standpoint, my knowledge base. Um, And you can take it or leave it. You know, what I say is not the be-all, end-all of what you ultimately do. So I think that we need to, again, kind of stay in our lane, recognize our training only. You know, everything is a practice. It's medical practice. So we have to take each patient as an individual and say, all right, here's what you're currently doing. Um, and, and kind of navigate that together with them and see, you know, what are you open to? What are you not? Um, meeting patients where they're at, I think, is where we really get the best outcomes. Because if I just, like, throw the book at someone, then that's very overwhelming. Mm. Um, yeah. But, like, you know, we have health coach support at our practice as well. So establishing with me, you get ongoing health coach support. So it's like, you know, even if you don't have an appointment with me coming up right away, you get on a call with a health coach and it's like, all right, Dr. L told me to take all of these supplements. What the heck am I supposed to do with them? I forgot. Like she, we talked about so many things. Um, we talked about the paleo diet, like where should I start? So we have a lot of support built in because a lot of it is radical changes that we ultimately want these patients to make. So working together and, you know, having a good relationship with that patient is really, really focal and central in, in every case. Yeah, talk about that health coach. What uh, What's their role in the whole practice? So it's really just like an extension of my care. I mean, our health coaches are just awesome. I mean, they're just fantastic, truthfully. So as soon as I'm done with a, a patient, so for example, for a new patient, they come in, I do a full intake. We kind of get a plan together about what are we going to do in terms of labs? What are we going to do? Like, how's your diet look? What are we going to do for this or that? Um, and then after that, it's like, that I walk them out and they start to, they sit right there and they talk with a health coach to review the note because it's like they've sat in here with me for for a new patient appointments hour 15 minutes hour and a half so I've been kind of talking at them asking them a million questions um, mm-hmm. so it's a, a little overwhelming and so then the health coach kind of it's like all right let's simplify let's start here and then you and I will have a call in you know two weeks check in on the diet check in on the so again just kind of supportive so that when I get on to go with these lab values and again kind of like a lot of dense information we can also have that health coach that's like all right well this is what was really important like kind of just really making it easier for the patient to adhere to some of these changes that we're doing yeah simplifying um, have you plan. ever had to oh sorry what was that i was just saying kind of simplifying the plan and kind of breaking things down yeah that's helpful i think a lot of doctors mm-hmm. could probably benefit from that um have you ever had to fire a patient? I think I have, and they just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, like inadvertently? Oh, man. I mean, there's a lot of doctor shoppers out in the functional medicine world. So mm-hmm. it's like you're going to... What do you mean by doctor shoppers? What do you mean by that? Well, so they'll come to see me, and then they'll go to see someone who is very well known for being a plant-based doctor. And it's like, what can you possibly gain from... It's like too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Yeah. 
So what can you possibly gain from having that much input? Because I know that I've got, you know, I really very much try to streamline supplementation. I don't like any of my patients taking 30 capsules three times a day. So I know that if I'm trying to streamline and limit that, um, the next doctor might not be. So then if you've got all this compounded advice, you're taking 75 supplements, you're not getting anywhere. Like, right. so I've had a couple uh, of doctors that have, you know, reached out to me and it's like, well, I see that we share this patient. Um, and I'm like, hey. Oh, the doctors you... reached out to you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and that's great. You know, I think that it's, mm. it speaks volumes about our, our field and that we are really are paying attention to what the patient is doing. Um, but ultimately, I'll, I'll sit and sit with the patient and say, look, here's, again, here's my input. Here's my knowledge base on your case. This is what I would have you do. You can take it or leave it. I, I you know, if you want to go to another doctor, then that's to- totally up to you. Um, if you don't like a paleo approach to diet, if you are never going to sit down and eat red meat, if you are never going to, you know, stop going through a drive through then maybe I'm not the one for you. But, you know, I, I think that we can at least have a conversation so that it's like, how are we going to get to optimal results with what you're doing? So I'm very straightforward. I'm, you know, I don't think that I would sit there and say, don't ever come back here again, but we're not going to get the results that you or I want with what we're currently doing. Yeah. Talk about hormone health. Why are people's hormones so imbalanced today? Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) Is that another episode? Yeah, that's a whole episode. (laughs) I mean, there's, there's so many reasons. So I think that there's, you know, the microbiome shifts can affect that, the just innate, what your, you know, genetics tell your body to make, um, but also a lot of exogenous hormones. So like xenoestrogens are a real thing and they're really abundant in the chemical landscape. So we've got a lot of estrogen dominant women and even men that are making too much estrogen. Um, but we've got fertility, infertility on the rise. Um, and we've just got so many things coming into our body that's affecting our hormones because so xenoestrogens come into our body and they're more potent. They're stronger than the estrogens that our body makes. And they're displacing our endogenous estrogens and they're making a stronger effect and it can be inflammatory. It can be disruptive on normal cycles it can i mean so there's any number of symptoms that can occur it'd be acne or what have you heavy menses no menses um so we've got all of these hormonal irregularities pcos infertility um early onset of menstruation and these young girls because of the foods because of the chemicals um it's really kind of tragic that that's kind of where we're at, but we really have to start looking ahead and looking out because, you know, there's like 800,000 chemicals out there that are being used in any given day and all of the products that surround us, but, you know, maybe 8,000 of those are really well studied. So there's just a lot of unknown territory that's affecting our hormones, um, decreasing spermatogenesis in men. I mean, it's just, there's a lot out there right now that's that's going on that we just don't know about yet. And so we need to pay attention to what is shown in the literature um, and really trying to avoid a lot of these chemicals that are going to alter hormone function. Yeah. Early menstruation in, in girls, are you seeing that a lot? 
I don't treat young patients a lot, but I know that I've got a lot of women in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're telling me that their daughters had their first period at age nine. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's disturbing. It is disturbing. Man, we're, we're doing something wrong when we see that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's messed up. It is. So. Um, yeah. Well, our time's running short, but uh, this was fun. And I really appreciate you, Dr. Absolutely. Lauren Matanza, hanging out with us. Um, I know you have a podcast as well. So uh, tell people how to find that. Yeah. So we are the Healthy Heart Show. So myself and Dr. Jack Wolfson, who is our cardiologist, um, he and I interview kind of, you know, like you said, just people that are in our tribe, like-minded, but people from all kind of fields within functional medicine, a lot of cardiac information, but also a lot of hormone and toxin avoidance. Um, so check it out anywhere that you can, you know, find a podcast. We have, we are the healthy heart show. We're also on YouTube. Um, yeah, we're, I'll put it in the show links too. Great. Thank you. Yeah. And then I'm on Instagram at dr latanza and our Instagram for the practice is natural heart doctor as well. Um, we're located in Scottsdale, but I see patients from really all over the world anymore. So let us know if you, what you need. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll put your info up and, uh, this was fun. I, I hope you'll come back and hang out. Absolutely. So yeah, such a pleasure, Mike. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for being here and that'll do it for this edition. Uh, check us out naturalmanpodcast.com and until next time, stay healthy. The Natural Man Podcast. Check us out. Naturalmanpodcast.com. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.